G'day everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Inner Voice podcast. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and I'm pleased to welcome Cameron Worth to the show. This is the final edition of the I'm Curious to Know project. This particular project consisted of 31 daily interviews throughout May with world-class athletes, innovators, and unique personalities from the world of endurance sports. Cam's story is definitely unique. He left the professional cycling world abruptly to pursue his dreams outside of the sport. After a few chance encounters, Cam found himself on the start line of Ironman Canada in 2015. The story of his nutrition plan from that race is an all-time great tale, and I'm pleased to bring it to life in today's episode. You'll also hear about how Cam was welcomed into the Team Ineos training groups and training camps. And after impressing the team and Chris Froome over several years, Cam rejoined the Pro Tour with the team at the beginning of 2020. He was tasked with supporting where needed. All the while, his ambitions have still been firmly locked on winning the Ironman World Championships in Kona. He's a true multi-sport athlete and brings world-class banter to the sport. I hope you enjoy the show. Coming all the way from Andorra, Cam Worth, how are you, mate? Good, thanks, Trev. Thanks. It's great to have you on the show. Um, we've been trying to connect for a couple of years, or I've been trying to connect with you for a couple of years to have you and, and hear a little bit more of your story. Um, we're at a very, very interesting time now, obviously. Um, before the show, you were talking about the circumstances that you faced uh, in Andorra around COVID. Um, give us the synopsis of your lockdown uh, cool. during that period. Yeah, man, it was um, it was pretty intense. It was a it was a Friday. I remember that. It was must have been you know twelve weeks ago almost now. And uh, I went out for a long run. Um, my wife she dropped me in town. So the main town's at about a thousand meters, so three thousand feet for the US guys. We live up at about five thousand feet, so kind of like Boulder. So I start my run generally down there, do a bit of a loop in the flatter valley, and then and then head home. While I was on my run, I just thought, oh, I might stop at the pool on the way home and uh, have a bit of a swim. So I think she dropped me off at about 10. I got to the pool at about 12, 15. And uh, they said, Cameron, you can't come in. The pool, the country's shut. And I said, you know, what do you mean? It's, yeah, shut. <laughs> you know, like they said, everything is shut. Well, they said, it's not shut yet, but it'll be shut at one o'clock. So go home and get everything you need. And I was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> this yeah. is pretty drastic. And um, so I ran home and... Um, and did what everyone does, raced up. It was funny because I think I was one of the first to know in the in this little town. So yep. I walked up to my local store and bought like six blocks of toilet paper and everything else. <laughs> and people are looking at me thinking, what are you doing, you dumb Australian? <laughs> like, yep. you bloody tourist. Yeah, and then sure enough, you know, by the end of that day, all the businesses were shut, the borders were shut. Spain and France that are, we have a border to, so, you know, two yep. of the worst affected areas. And uh, we were just told to, you know, stay at home. It's a pretty advanced country, so kind of think Switzerland, I guess, uh, with a Spanish flair to it. So, you know, very sophisticated but very relaxed. But they were very good very quickly with figuring out home delivery and things like that for groceries and everything else. So we never, ever had an issue where if you if you didn't want to go outside and take all the precautions, you could easily get everything you needed delivered to the house. Also, you know, we had really good supply. So there was never ever I didn't need my six rolls of toilet paper, you know, six boxes of toilet paper. Still got a few sure. left. <laughs> yeah, I'd still got oh yeah, at least four of them left. So uh, <laughs> there was no issue with that. We we're pretty well serviced. But no, I mean we we're not part of uh, the EU. I mean we're in Europe, right in the middle of it, but so we need to rely on our own health system and everything and 
yeah. even as far as an athlete goes, you know, we were told straight away the first day we, we went out and trained normally. And uh, that night we got a letter from the government, the cycling federation saying, you know, you guys can't go outside because if you crash and you need medical care, we might need that bed. Well, actually that was interesting. They couldn't force us not to apparently through the law, yeah. but we all said to set an example because here it, as it is like Boulder, very healthy town. Everyone's very fitness mad. So if we were out there and everyone's not allowed to go to work, well, of course, everyone would have been out. Yeah. Yeah. Did a pretty good job. They, they got it under control and, and now we're, you know, pretty much back to normal. Tell me what that was like for, for you and your wife as you're, uh, you know, you're preparing for your for your child to be born and obviously you yeah. doctor's visits, there's, you know, checkups, all those type of things. How did that happen? Yeah, well, firstly, I wasn't, I mean, so she was, yeah, she had two months to go basically, uh, eight weeks, and I wasn't allowed to go to any of those checkups or anything after that. Um, and then we also got told I wouldn't be allowed to be at the birth, which yeah. At that point, we thought about getting out of here. I mean, obviously, we've got the option of going to either Australia or the US, which on the face of it, compared to what we were going through being locked down, it seemed like you guys had it wonderful. You know, we could go back, be in a house, have plenty of space, all of that. But Fallon was really determined to have a child here, you know, wouldn't have a European little baby. And um, yeah. and also, we love this place. You know, it is a great health system and, and all of that. And I felt like the worst dad to be husband you could ever possibly. I mean, when I wasn't allowed to be there, I mean that that part really rattled her and me because I was like far out, like foreign language, sending her in on her own, you know, to pop out our child, and I can't. At least if we're in Australia or whatever, and there's those rules, you can have the whole family in the car park, you know, ready to with the in and out truck if you're in the US. And yeah, fortunately, a week or so before. He was due. Um, they said that you could be there just for the final bit, and that was that was funny. It wasn't actually that big a deal in the end because uh, we. She went to. She felt like she woke up one morning with contractions. She had an appointment that day. Went and saw the pediatrician. She said, "Yep, he'll be here within one to three days." But they were also like, "Don't come to the hospital until it's coming." You know? Yeah. 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 And she really left it till the last minute she was out that afternoon uh, walking the dog bent over to pick up the dog's crap and the water broke <laughs> and um, she was a few hundred meters up the road yeah. and i was at home on the bike and uh, she rang and said oh my water's broken can you come and pick me up and i said oh i mean it's already broken it, you know what's, yeah. what's the, oh, she said i'm embarrassed i said well walk down the other side of the road <laughs> So she walked home and uh, got off the bike and I said, what do you think? And she started measuring the contractions and I said, oh, have I got time to go for a run? She said, yeah. oh, I think so. And I got, <laughs> I got my shoes on and my gear ready to go for a run and then she said, nah, I think he's coming. We better go. And sure enough, we went down to the hospital and three hours later he was, he was out. And how much of the process were you able to be in there for? Like you mentioned, yeah. you were able to so, go into the room straight away and kind of be there with her through that last three No. Hours. So that was the other bit. So you had to drop her off and then wait for them to say, yes, he's coming. Yeah. So we loaded up the car. We had the dog, took the dog. So dropped her off, raced the dog up to a mate's place. And that was just five minutes, ten minutes away. And she fell and rang and said, "No, he's look, he's coming." So you need to go and wait in the waiting room, and yeah. they'll call you when you know he's 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 about to, you know, basically about to pop out. I was probably only waiting thirty minutes, and uh, she went from one centimeter, like seven centimeters, dilated real quick. And uh, yeah, and they rang me, and it was the phone rang. It was like 
I don't know, like that, that there's that phone in the corner and it rings and you just look at it and you're like, shit, is that the one? You know, <laughs> you ran, up, ran yeah. over and picked it up and some lady screamed at me in Spanish and I'm like, I'm assuming she's saying come down and then Fallon yelled from behind, come down, you know. I was like, okay, and I dropped the phone. I remember not hanging the phone back up. When I'd done that, I realized I don't know where I'm going. So yeah. I got in the elevator and started going through the floors trying to find the maternity ward. And finally I got down to like minus two and um, popped out of the ICU. And that was a bit of a, you know, yeah. you hear all, you've heard about ICU, you know, like that's all people have been talking about for the last couple of months and you sort of stop you in your tracks. You're like, bloody hell, thinking about what everyone's been going through. And then, and then I heard Fallon yell again and I was like, ah, this is the floor. It <laughs> followed the noise. And found her and, um, yeah, and as, as I was able to be there with her for that last hour. And, man, a good thing I was because fortunately I was a midwife. I speak good Italian, so I was a midwife that spoke Italian. Fallon speaks pretty good Spanish, but when you're going through labor, yeah, pretty cool. good Spanish kind of <laughs> disappears. So, um, so she was able to translate, speaks Italian to me. I was able to translate to Fallon. And you have this image of bringing this kid into the world, but I was more worried about her. You know, yeah. I mean, she was in so much pain and yeah. she wanted an epidural and they said it's sort of too late. And then she's like, oh, it hurts too much. I can't push. And I'd say, well, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get him out. Like, you can't stay in there. <laughs> like, yeah. you've got to push. And yeah. yeah, we had the perfect little natural birth and just so fortunate with the whole thing. And not a word of English was spoken. It was sort of just how we ever dreamed. And And I think the coolest part was they pulled him out they put him on her, you know, she got to nurse him straight away. And then, and then when they were dealing with her second birthing, they just handed him to me. And I was like, like I had not done a sink, like no classes, <laughs> nothing. I, I um, YouTubed how to CPR an infant and stop him from choking just before I went to the hospital that morning or that afternoon when I was on the bike. You just like, oh, and we haven't had it. He hasn't been out of our sight once. You know, there was no time where he was taken to a nursery. Yeah. You know, it was just a very, I guess, as, as as natural as it could possibly be here in Europe, you know. I mean, yeah. they've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. But, yeah, it's just been us, you know, no family. We've got a lot of friends here, so that's been great. And, um, yeah, we've got a healthy little boy. Very cool. Congratulations. It's such an amazing experience. We've uh, yeah. we've been through it twice ourselves and, yeah. I, like, I don't know how you feel, but I was so impressed with Lauren and how, what she yeah. went through. And, and then also yeah. my thoughts immediately turned to my mum. I'm like, well, mums are incredible. Yeah. Mums yeah. are amazing things in the world. You kind of feel like a bit of a, you're meant to be all nostalgic. And, oh, my boy, you know, I'll bring him back. Yeah, I mean, that was great. But honestly, I was just so concerned about her you know he was fine he had three doctors that knew what was going on speaking to him in spanish you know like yeah. he, he was he couldn't do much but seeing what yeah she, fallon was going through and, and exactly think about your own mum, you know yeah. popping you into the world and yeah that was that to me was um quite an eye-opener and uh certainly a different perspective on um on pain well the set so our first uh daughter our daughter was a natural birth same similar mm-hmm. to what you're describing you know it took a yeah. little longer than what you guys are talking about but yeah our second our son um my wife ended up having to have a c-section and that was mm-hmm. the most that was a traumatic experience for me yeah my wife's there having a panic attack and and they're like shaking her body to bring this baby out yeah. and then i go over and i'm with the baby 
and then yeah. these tests and the measurement of the breathing and all of these things. And he took a little while to get the breath back. So then like my heart's over here and my head's over here. And I'm like, holy shit, like, what do I do? Yeah. Two out of the three people I love the most in the world are in this room. Holy, it's a crazy time. But, and how's he doing? He's so here. It's, uh, three weeks, I guess, two or three weeks now. Mm. Three mm. weeks, yeah. Last night he was doing like, you know, he was sort of using his feet, like pushing up, like doing a squat or a jump. So I was like, oh, great. Yeah, let's do that. And then, yeah. you know, his legs go limp and you're like, mate, come on. Like, you can't just do two. <laughs> and you realize yeah. he's got no idea what he's doing. He's just figuring yeah. out figuring out the world. So 2020 has been a big year for you. You are obviously re-back in the, in the pro tour in, the, in Team Ineos. Um, tell me about how that all came to be. Yeah, well, we've—I mean, the last few years, I guess. Um, yeah, since uh, 2017, started 2017, I um, yeah went up and trained with Chris Froome, and um, just inadvertently, one of the guys that he was in Australia with uh, to train with for a camp uh, got called into a race because another rider was sick. I'd never even had a phone call on WhatsApp before. I didn't even know that was a feature. And my Tim Kerrison, which is Froome's coach, just called me out of the blue. I hadn't spoken to him in quite a while i knew him from rowing days and yeah he just said oh listen what are you up to and i said not much he said oh would you want to come and train with Froomey?" and so off i went and um you know to be honest at that point i was a little bit over sport i really wanted to get into finance and um started more of a normal life and uh yeah trained really well and sort of both he and tim said look you know you obviously are probably capable if you really want to do something and i said that i'd done a couple of triathlons in my hiatus my time away and um really enjoy that and Tim said you know I think you'd actually potentially be quite good at that actually like you like training a lot and you're on your own so you don't have to deal with that pressure of being around in a competitive environment so much um, with, with team and things that you probably haven't dealt with well in the past and so that was what sort of kick-started that and then obviously you know 2018 it sort of progressed to you know all the partners of the team and was also discussed me potentially racing again you know all through that time just every now and then I'd be at a camp and a rider would get sick and couldn't race. So they were rider short and they were like, oh, God, we wish we could just take Cameron. Like, you know, he's just done all the work with us anyway. Uh, the end of uh, last, so 20, yeah, December, Dave Brailsford actually said, listen, Cameron, how about you come to the, the whole team camp, which I'd never been to, which was in Mallorca. Um, I guess that was a bit of a test just to see what I was like around the whole team. And yeah, I mean, I just blended in like one of them, as they said, and, and quite a few people you know, staff and whatever said, oh, gosh, you, you know, you should just be racing on the team. You know, I said, well, I'm focusing on what I'm doing and I want to win Kona. And, yeah. um, but on the last day, I sat down with Dave and I said, people have been saying that. And I said, listen, if there is an opportunity to race where you need someone to fill in, basically, like be a, be a bit of a free role, you know, on the team so that I'm just always available. Yeah. And he said that would be potentially quite quite a good thing for us to have you know we often have guys get injured and whatever and go to races but the problem was the team was full they had 30 riders yeah january only a few weeks later one of the guys for sal kirienka had a heart he's had a heart problem for a while and decided that he'd had enough he didn't want to you know push it anymore and um and i think at the time it was more well we'll just leave him on the team for the year and then you know he'll, he'll stop but they said well cameron's there if you're happy to retire we'll we'll bring cameron in so he said yeah i'll, I'll stop then and that was that so they um found a spot for me <laughs> pretty quickly <laughs> i felt like i could contribute to yep. them that way and then it would also help help me um you know in the long run with with where i'm trying to get because 
I'm training with the guys all the time. You know, why not see what it's like racing with them a little bit as well? Pretty mind-boggling, isn't it, when you're like, oh, I just bolts back into Team Ineos <laughs> of all teams. Haven't well, raced for six years, but yeah, just cruise back into the world tour with the best team in the world. <laughs> and jump straight into the races too. Like you've raced yeah. a few days, probably more than most 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 guys this year already. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, when they decided to do it, they said, right, there's a race in Australia in a week. Yeah, um, If we can get all the paperwork done, will you go back to Australia? It'd be a great story. You know, it's your hometown um and or home country and um and then but also the big thing was let's find out where you're at you know like you haven't raced for so long we need to get on top of where you're at and how where you can be useful you know what we can learn and so that was great i was in la i was training with Geraint thomas and ben swift another guy on the team and um yeah so i actually ended up racing before them certainly it was a shock i mean i don't know what i expected i felt because i've been training with the guys the best guys in the world not only in this, you know, in the Ineos, but Richie Port, you know, mentioned before, trained yeah. with him a hell of a lot as well over the last few years. And so you're with the best guys. So you, you sort of have a bit of confidence in yourself. You think, well, you know, if I can hang there, then I should be fine. But then you remember the, the you know, the different parts of racing, moving in the bunch, you know, the accelerations mm. are surging, the tactics, you know. Yeah. Um, people just not letting you go where you want to go, um, the danger. That side of things I was quite nervous about. But, you know, fortunately, you know, the first race back was pretty windy. We were confident it was going to split pretty early and uh, we figured, well, it's always best to be the bat and the ball. So um, I lined up right at the start. I was right on the front row and as soon as we turned left onto that road and we got a bit of a cross piece, Luke Rowe told me to smack it in the gutter and... Uh, the way it went and split the smithereens and I was in the front and I was like, well, I'm, I'm back, baby. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt though. It really, really hurt. <laughs> yeah. What was the reception like from the other guys? Obviously, the team was excited to have you there and kind of test the waters a little bit. But did you – were there other people you had raced against before or just people who kind of looked at you like, oh, here's this triathlete wanker who's found his way yeah. on the team in the world? Yeah, I think sort of people figured the way I left the sport was that I wasn't good enough. Um, I mean, I chose to sort of not do it at that point in my life. I felt like I was wasting a productive period of my life and that was why I wanted to stop and go to the US and try and get a job in finance and because I don't, I you know, graduated with economics and finance and that was always my dream, you know, to one day work on Wall Street. So I knew that from an ability point of view that I was more than capable, but I guess others had formed some sort of opinion because you don't generally just choose to leave the world tour that early and then just be able to sort of come back. But I've always felt that if I wanted to, I could come back. Um, I guess now that I'm actually back in the world tour, I realise how bizarre that would sound. (laughs) You know, it is so hard to have a place in there. Um, But so there was a lot that, yeah, just ignored me. Um, there was a lot of others like a Lachlan Morton, who I'm really good friends with. Richie was there, of course. Andre Greipel, who's someone that's always kept in touch with me and were genuinely happy for me that were, wow, this is really cool, Adam Hansen. But then it's funny because then when you put it in the gutter and you split the field to pieces and then, you know, it regroups and you got people with their tail between their legs because their race could have been over. Yeah. People then come up to you and they're like, oh, yeah, g'day, Wolfie. Yeah, good to see, good to see, good to see you back. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you never left. It's like, yeah, well, it sort of yeah. worked out that way, hasn't it? Did you think like, okay, I have to I have to kind of prove myself a little bit. Obviously, the team was looking for your progress, but did you kind of have that chip on your shoulder a little bit in that first day? I mean, I didn't want to be a flop. 
I knew there was a lot of people watching me, you know. But, the, you know, the last, I guess, few years, that's where I've really, you know, training with those guys has given me so much confidence in my own ability that I have been very fortunate that I've had been pretty consistent with my performances. And if you've done the work, you know, it's not on the day, it's, it's the work you've done the weeks before that will deliver the performance. And I knew that I'd consistently worked hard. Yeah, I, I didn't think it would be easy, but I felt like, you know, I've just got to, be confident in my own ability that I'm going to be fine. And in the end, it did hurt a lot more than I expected. I mean, I hadn't done accelerations like that for, yeah, exactly, six years. I mean, we don't do that stuff in training because the guys don't need to because they're accustomed to it now and as I used to be. And then in the end, you know, the plan was to make the race as hard as possible. So that's why we were splitting it early. We split it again. Um, and then in the end, we had a guy come, you know, it was second in the race, you know, so close to winning young guy, Pavel Sivakov, who lives really close to me here in Andorra, just down the street. And another guy was fifth. So it was a great result for the team. Yeah. It was just business as normal, you know? <laughs> I, I recall reading that you put the shoes on and you ran back to the hotel. Yeah. yeah that was, that was part of the deal. I mean, my coach, Tim Kerris, and he said that if you're racing with the team, the one condition is that. The last day, you need to run a minimum of a, of a half marathon, whether it's the end of a small tour or one day race. And yeah. so, um, yeah, the hotel was exactly 21K from the finish line. So uh, I put the shoes on and was heading back and the other guys rode. And um, uh, I, got, I got held up. I was doing some stuff. I had some family there and saying hello. And then anyway, I took off and I ended up getting lost. So I actually ran 30K <laughs> after that race. <laughs> And also, I guess it just showed everyone that I'm still 100% focused on Kona. I mean, that is yeah. like the big thing that drives me. It's not even really, it's not even a comeback. I never really left. I never really felt like I left. I didn't carry on about retiring. I didn't carry on about any of that rubbish. I mean, I just stopped. Yeah, and I've always believed that I could be there. And yeah, but I'm a bit of a dreamer. It was probably a bit of a pipe dream thinking that way, but hey, it worked out. You have yeah. a pretty interesting career in triathlon let's call it in 2015 i recall i was actually living in vancouver at the time cam worth shows up at ironman canada uh basically self-sufficient you just kind of took it on yourself to carry your own nutrition and hydration you kind of didn't really i guess you didn't really know what you were getting yourself in for but you had a stellar day you you kicked everyone's ass there but i I love the story of the starbucks kind of coffees in your, in your biddens. Tell, tell me that. They weren't in my biddens. They were in my transition bag. So I had one after the swim. Um, and that came about from Richie Port and I for his birthday. A couple of years before, we'd ridden 400K. And you get to a point where you can only eat so much food, you know, especially sugar and whatever. And Richie said, oh, I heard somewhere that iced coffees just have a lot of electrolytes, a lot of sugar, a lot of fat. You know, they, they'd be perfect. And I... He said now he just made it up, you know, but right. it was just a, we thought maybe, you know, why not? But we had them and we felt great. We started just having one of them every hour or two and we got through that ride without a drama. So it's sort of become my go-to on a hard day is a, is a nice milky coffee. And I thought, right, I'll get out of the swim and I'll have one to line the stomach for the bike. So I chugged a 600 mil in the, well, they're bigger than that. They're big. Um, <laughs> in transition before I get on the bike, I remember it was pissing with rain and cold. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's horrid. I put on my raincoat. I remember getting on the bike and getting out there and you go sort of right towards Vancouver and you do a bit of a climb and then you turn around and you go back the other way. So I saw all the pros, you know, women and men. And I was like, they're all in like tri-suits. 
and I'm still cold in my raincoat. But um, anyway, I got almost, I think, to the lead. I think there was one guy I didn't catch. And then got to T2, and I could not wait to get to T2 because I had another Frappuccino there. And, uh, yeah, and so I necked that in there and then headed out on the run. And then the next target was uh, midway of the run because I knew I had another one waiting for me right there. So, yeah, three of those uh, caramel Frappuccinos. And, um, yeah, I ended up coming ninth that day overall qualified yeah. for Kona and um, that was awesome. Don't Probably don't advise it for anyone who hasn't done it. Don't do the camera no. work. I've never done time. it since. I've never <laughs> done it since. <laughs> That's for sure. But, uh, I mean, the reality was, I guess, yeah, I mean, you get on yeah the bike, you know, you sort of ease into it and then on the run I wasn't trying to break any records. I was just trying to survive. When you first started that race, did you have ambitions of – becoming a triathlete was it something that you just thought you know i'm going to give this a shot because i've always kind of been interested in it yeah well that i mean the deal was that year i I mean i when i sort of decided to stop that that's when cannondale and had said to me listen yeah like you you're obviously still you're capable of still competing um and i understand you want to go off and do something else and i'd spent some time in the u.s at that point and they they were like you're probably seeing the stars and you know all the glittery and glamour of here and but if you do want to go and get a job somewhere else, it's better if you have a job. So they, yeah, I had a contract already with Cannondale, and yeah. which I would have walked away from. But they sort of said, "Listen, we'll just let you do, you know, do some brand ambassador stuff for us." And one of those brands was was Segoy. The, the people that worked there, they thought that I'd be good at triathlon, so they asked me to do Oceanside, which was a half earlier in the year, and I'd never obviously done one, and I actually loved that. And then, but then I thought that was it. You know, I was like, bugger that. I mean, obviously didn't train for it. I mean, I was hurting for about two months later. And they kept saying, you know, Cam, you should do a, an Ironman. I was like, oh, God, no way. Anyway, I was at a Cannondale um, sales meeting, which must have been in about June. There was a guy by the name of Bonner Paddock who was there and he'd done Kona two years before and he had cerebral palsy and he broke something like 28 bones in his feet. And two years later, there were still two of them broken. Wow. Anyway, and I heard that story. I said to I said to Jamie, the Segoy lady, I said, Jamie, sign me up for the next diamond. And she said, well, Whistler's in two weeks or three weeks or something. And we've got a big activation there. We could probably get you into that. Like, Cam, you should have given us some notice. Like, why don't you take this seriously? I said, no. Nah, if that guy can do an Ironman with cerebral palsy, I don't deserve the right to train for this thing so um so that was it i just fronted up pretty blind and um yeah it was more just a a thing to do you know as far as like wow this guy's done it like that i i just want to see what it's like but man i loved it i love like the half i love i double it was double love i've never been so excited to spend a thousand dollars on an entry fee to go to kona tell me what it was like going to kona your first time out as an amateur well, ironic as it might sound, I was a couple of weeks later. I was um, mountain biking. Had a mate um, come over. We went to some mountain bike festival, and um, yeah, being an idiot, um, hit this. Was doing this downhill course, something that was way above my pay grade, and uh, stuck my foot out and got jagged on a rock and pulled it back behind me and snapped two bones in my feet. And so, yeah, that needed to be reset, like fully displaced. I was in a moon boot until I think eight days before Kona and uh, they're like, oh, Cameron, look, just, you know, just come along, you know, just enjoy it, you know, because I was in Canada, everyone again had their activation, everything there. 
I was like, bugger that. I'm doing this thing. I mean, if this guy can do it with Sarah, again, if Bonapati can do it with Sarah Borsi, I'm going to do this race. And, yeah, so I jumped in and you know, did an okay swim, you know, because I hadn't swum. Obviously, I could ride okay. I remember blowing up big time. I remember catching – it was similar. I was catching all the women caught all bar one, which was reef. And yeah. I remember getting quite close to it with about 15K to go and the helicopter was there. And then she started pulling away from me because I just – <laughs> I mean, I hadn't trained for a few months with this moon boot yeah. on, but no excuse. I mean, she's phenomenal. I mean, obviously, she's a phenomenon. And, yeah, then I had to get on the run, and I was like, well, I can't quit. So I figured, yeah. worst case, now I'm going to break my foot again. So I tried walking. That actually hurt more right. than sort of shuffling. You know, I was sort of shuffling, jogging, slash was keeping your feet as close to the ground and a high turnover was the um, best yeah. option. And, um yeah, I ended up finishing before the sun went down. And um, I got out on the Queen K before Jan got to the, you know, off the Queen K and on the run. And so I just come up Polani, probably only got a couple of K down the road and he came the other way with the car and everything. And I remember seeing him and I was like, oh, that looks, that looks pretty cool. cool. I wouldn't mind doing that one day. So that was the moment that I was like, you know what? I do want to be out here racing you guys and then tell me what that was like when you lead off the bike you know you you roll into transition first you lead off the bike onto the run and like growing up as a kid so my dad was a triathlete i did my first triathlon as eight an eight-year-old we went to kona in 92 uh you know he finished six that year with his i think he had an appendix surgery a few weeks before i was enamored with the sport i used to play triathlon in the backyard dreaming about (laughs) you know leading the race and you'd practice it and you'd run around the block and you're leading Kona I can't lie I mean I'm the same I mean I remember even like a Chris Liedo who you watched yeah. you know get off the bike and lead for so long 2016 I sort of tried to take it seriously it was a disaster I kept getting injured and yeah I'd, I'd look for a job in finance and I'd found one in LA and I was excited to do that the reason I was back in Australia was sort of we enjoyed the summer yeah, so that was that was sort of that. And then obviously got this crazy phone call from Tim Kerris. And now the big thing with them was, with Tim, was, look, the first year, you know, just getting to Kona will be great because we need to find out what the race is all about, you know, how it works, all that, you know, what you need to do. And so the qualification system then was on the world rankings. Yeah, easier said than done. I mean, I hadn't didn't have any points. I didn't race until I think March or April that year, which was South Africa. I started, got a few points there. I ended up then doing cans and I got a bit of a chunk there, enough to give you a bit of a sniff. And then I uh, bombed out at Nice and Zurich. Oh, that were, that's right. They were a week apart. I did both of them. Right. <laughs> I did Nice and that was when the tour finished. And then I was about to drive over to Zurich and Froomey rang and he said, what are you up to? And I said, I'm off to Zurich. He said, oh, do you want to come and train with me for a couple of weeks? I'm doing a camp until leading up to the Vuelta in uh, Chatel. And I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I've got an Ironman this weekend, but I'll do that. Then I'll pop up, you know. Yeah. Uh, went up with Froomey and there was one race left, which was Sweden. And I had, uh, you know, and I had to get second to, to get in the top 50. And, um, you know, I had an amazing camp with Froomey, you know, just gave me a huge – I remember him just saying to me the last day, he said, listen, mate, like you don't need to do any more than you're capable of doing. You can, you can do this. Just the power of someone saying like that, that they believe yeah. in you, I mean, that – Makes you feel pretty good. Sure enough, went there, came second, qualified for Kona. I'd entered in Wales. I already planned on not qualifying. So I'd entered in Wales three weeks later. So I won that. <laughs> so I'd already basically qualified for the next year's Kona. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, getting to Kona, of course, 
I didn't have any ambitions to be fast on the bike or anything like that. I just wanted to be in the race and um, had a terrible swim. But fortunately, so did um, Sebi and Lionel. Lucy mm. passed us. Or Lucy didn't pass me. She she passed me in transition. She got out of the water. She was underneath my armpit and um, she caught us. And uh, I had to pass the women. I don't think anyone's gone from out the back of the women's race <laughs> to leading the men's race in Kona. And, um, yeah, and obviously found Lionel and Sebi out there and thought, oh, we're fine then. Sebi always gets to the front. Mustn't be that. Yeah. We mustn't be in too bad a position here. And sure enough, we caught them on the climb to Harvey that day. Yeah. And um, I remember Jan and, and I thought, I wonder if people do banter in this sport. The day before we ended a check-in, he'd, um, he, he came out and he, he stopped and uh, said hello. And I was walking in, he was looking at my front wheel. And I said, uh, he said, oh, interesting front wheel. And I said, oh, it's just meant to be windy um, tomorrow. He said, really? I said, yeah, forecast. I mean, any wind. I mean, I, I said, I'm out there for 180K. I don't want to blow around. So, yeah, I got a small profile. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't think it's that windy. I said, okay, cool. Anyway, we're going up the climb to Harvey and um, I'm going past him. He's wobbling around and I slowed right down as I went past him. I said, hey, mate, how's that front wheel working out for you? And he looked at me like, like I just told him I'd murdered his children. He yeah. did not believe that I had the audacity to say That's something to him. I mean, I just kept pushing on. It wasn't that I really did much, but, um, you know, everyone else sort of slows down and, it was the three of us. Sebi rode across to me and, and Lionel as well and because they didn't handle going down down the hill very well. And I thought, oh, this is cool. And uh, so then I just tried to keep encouraging them, to be honest. Like, let's stay together. This is great. You know, how cool is this? I get to ride with Sebi. I mean, I was a huge fan of his particular. I didn't know much about Lionel. And then Sebi dropped off. And I was like, oh, damn, must be going all right here. And then... And then Lionel um, started to slow down. So I rode up uh, beside him. I said, come on, mate, you know, 20K to go, that's hang in there, you know, thinking how this is going to – could set him up here really well. You know, he could win this. I mean, I knew I couldn't run. And, um, yeah, he dropped off. And I remember, you know, last couple of K, I didn't want to look back, but last couple of K I heard motorbikes behind me. So I had to look back and, yeah, man, that was just my – like going to T2 alone – I mean, that was something I kind of definitely dreamed about, you know, watched it on TV and, yeah, obviously all the guys passed me after that. But, yeah, man, it was – and obviously then from that, you have to believe that you can be competitive. You have to believe that – I mean, in the last few years, there's only been a few guys that have ever led the bike, led the race on the run. You know, people talk about – I mean, other guys that come second and third and whatever. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal. I've never even come second or third or fourth. But uh, the reality is to put yourself in a position to win that race is not hard, not not easy. And I think that that's one thing I have got up my sleeve and it's probably been the reason why I've improved over the last couple of years. I want to hear about the banter. You're, you're an, a magician at the banter. Um, Euros don't really get it. Um, the Americans really struggle with it. Canadians yeah. seem to struggle with it as well. And you're a bit of a troll, let's be honest. Tell me about yeah. how that plays into your psyche and, and trying to get under people's skin. Honestly, I, I don't really do it to get under people's skin. I just try and do it to add a bit of flair to the sport. I mean, I guess it kind of – I don't even know how it really – I guess the whole yarn thing, that's sort of how it started. Um, and then he started just personally, you know, giving me a bit of a ribbing just when we're in communication since. I guess it's kind of stemmed from there, you know, and 
they're not very good at it. I think me sort of instigating it gives them confidence to try and, you know, get him. And they're definitely up in their game. I mean, Lionel has improved out of sight. Sevi, probably the biggest improvement in the bandit department, you know, and, and Yarn, Yarn, of course, as well. I mean, even, you know, making fun of me at the awards, you know, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it, you, you know that it's part of the sport, which is good. And, and that's, I mean, that side of things is what makes sports interesting. I mean, yeah, we can compete and there's that side, but, um, there has to be – it's always good if there's the guy that everyone wants to see get beaten but can be proud of him if he does well too. And Jan, after kind of this year, sent me a message and just said, you know, there's a lot of people that talk the talk but, you know, it was it was really impressive to see you actually back it up, you know, on yeah. the weekend. And although I didn't have the greatest race, I mean, I did the best race I could and, uh, and the guys that beat me, I mean, you've got two guys that have won uh, before mm-hmm. and uh, two guys that have been second before so I didn't deserve to be in any of their seats you know you got to go out and beat them and I wasn't able to do it I mean the sports just changed so much since I've been around look at the course record you know there's it's just got faster and faster every year and that's really exciting and and really the swim hasn't changed much the run hasn't changed much but the guys have all learned to ride their bikes quicker and still be able to do the others quicker and I'm pretty proud. I mean, it's not like I pat myself on the back and think, wow, look at what you've done. I mean, personally, I would prefer to be 10 minutes ahead of everyone. <laughs> you know, they never improve. But I think it's telling that someone like, say, well, use his name again, Starkowitz, I mean, no one reacted to whatever he's done on the bike, yet he claims that he's like the greatest ever on the bike. It's like, well, okay, what have you actually changed? <laughs> you know, what changed when you were, when you were doing all that? So, um Whereas I think I, I feel like I've been able to do it in quite a human way that they've seen and they've gone, oh, wow, that must yeah. be possible. This has been fun. It's been fun to kind of reminisce and regale some of your tales and, and get an inside look into your journey back to the, the Pro Tour and your journey as you chase that cone of glory. So um, before okay. I do let you go, I wanna, I've got three questions that I've um, asked all of my guests and so I'm going to throw you, throw you away. So first one, what's one thing that's changed for you during this isolation period that you want to <laughs> keep once we move past and go into this new normal? Oh, okay. I was going to say a kid, <laughs> but yeah. um, of course I'm going to keep him. Yeah. Um, no, uh, you know, busyness. I mean, mm. I haven't really down, I mean, as far as training volume goes or what I do communicating with friends or whatever, uh, hasn't really changed my my daily. Okay, I haven't been able to go to a swimming pool, but I've done more gym or something else. But you've got so much free time, you know, and you still got food in the fridge, and you're still keeping up with everything. So whatever the hell it was that I used to do that may, used to make me think that I was busy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd really love to have got rid of that. Well, this might lead into question number two. What's one thing that you thought was important before that you're happy to leave in the past? I guess traveling. You know, I love. I really appreciate where I am. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't have any interest in traveling anywhere, to be honest. <laughs> I, I love it here in the Pyrenees. I think yeah. about Tassie, you know, and I think about being there and Lord Howe Island uh, where I grew up and, and obviously going back to the US and, and, and so forth. But as far as like going to Greece or going to Korea or, you know, or, yeah. the Maldives or I don't know, some sort of, Holiday, uh, no, no interest whatsoever. What's been your most memorable moment of joy during this period? Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, okay, childbirth obviously having, but I think also, I think the 
just the look on my wife's face when I said he's he's out, you know, he's out. And just that relief and that, you know, that, that emotion you just cannot replace. I mean, yeah, to, to see that after what you, you know, going through the whole birth, that was um, just that, that moment with her was, was pretty pretty remarkable that's awesome mate mate this has been great this is a i think the perfect way to end my streak here in may 31 days in a row um i can finally take a rest for tomorrow (laughs) shut it down for a day and then we'll see what's next i know right summer's here yeah Yeah, this has been great mate i look forward to staying in touch i look forward to uh following your journey uh meeting the little fella one day and uh yeah i wish you and the family all the best and thanks for joining me pleasure anytime Thanks, Cam, for joining the show. I couldn't think of a better way to end the month. It's truly been an amazing experience to bring this project to life. I learned so much about myself and my guests throughout the month. I will look back on it with fond memories. I also couldn't have done it without the support of my guests who showed up powerfully each and every day. I also want to send a big thanks to Courtney Garcia, who's worked diligently to bring the podcast to life. Every single day, she hasn't missed a beat, and I couldn't have done it without her. So Courtney, thank you so much and here's to many more episodes together in the future. And last but not least, thanks to you all for listening. I appreciate the overwhelming messages of support and feedback I received throughout the month. Stay tuned for many more episodes of the Inner Voice podcast. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, signing off for now.